All right, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yami, there we go. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the start of a fun, fun, fun series here in the well called Confronting Conflict. And what we are talking about here, as you so eloquently saw in the opening video, is one of the most important subjects, I believe, in all of life. Because when you get down to it, if I were to ask you what makes life worth living, what contributes to the quality of life more than anything else? It isn't your house, it isn't your car, it isn't your money, it isn't your retirement fund, it's relationships. Like when people are on their deathbed and when people are at the very end of their life, they're not saying, bring me my diploma so I can just kiss it one more time. Show me uh, my car, how's it go fast from zero to 60, just one more time. People don't wanna see pictures of their house. People don't wanna talk about their accomplishments. People wanna talk about relationships. People say, bring me my mom, bring me my sister, bring me my father, whatever it may be. Because nothing will affect the quality of your life more than relationships. That's not new information. You know that. When everything is great at work and horrible at home, life stinks. When everything may be crumbling at work, but at home you have that strong support, life is okay. You'll get through. Life is about relationships. It is not about accomplishments or tasks or anything like that. So if life is about relationships, one of the things that we must learn to address is conflict because there's no such thing as a relationship without conflict. The only time in your life that you're not gonna have conflict in relationship is when either A, you're dead, or B, you couldn't care less about the person in front of you. And I don't see either of those two as good options to go through life. If we are alive and we care about the people in front of us, it is inevitable that conflict will happen. Disagreements will, ha will happen. We're all made differently and that should not be a surprise to us. In the long term, in the long term, your success in life, and I'll define success in a little bit, the success of your life will ultimately, I believe, be determined by your ability to handle conflict in the right manner. And if you don't handle conflict in the right manner, then you'll end up like so many people with different regrets. Divorce. You know, I wish that I had just responded differently when she said, and we love each other, and she loved me, and I love her, but when she said this, I responded this, and I wish I could go back in time and change my response. You know, we were friends for all these years. We grew up together, and friends in high school, friends in college, and, and you know, something happened where I thought this about him, and he thought this about me, and I kind of blew up at him, and some stuff came out, and then he blew up at me, and we haven't spoken since then. So how many times you know someone who quit a job for no reason other than there was a conflict at work and they didn't know how to handle it properly? The success of your life will ultimately be determined by how you handle conflict. And this applies just as much outside the church as it applies inside the church. Because churches have been divided, homes have been divided, friendships have been divided, marriages have been divided, all because we don't know how to handle conflict in a proper manner. Just to show you that conflict is unavoidable. If there's anyone who ever walked the face of this planet who could have avoided conflict if he wanted, that person would be Jesus. Jesus could have avoided conflict if he wanted because he is Jesus. And by definition, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Like think about all the things that cause conflict in your life. I would, I would venture to say that Jesus, if he wanted to, had a workaround for all of them. You show up late to work. Boss is upset at you. Jesus, if he's late to work, no problem. Turn back the clock. He's Jesus. Remember in Superman 1 where Superman flew the opposite way around the earth and spun the axis the other way? Made it an hour late, no problem. He's Jesus. He could have done that if he wanted. 
Let's say you find out a friend of yours is gossiping about you and you don't know how to confront them. If you're Jesus, no problem. Lightning bolt, boom, right there. No confrontation needed. And maybe that's the definition where we get act of God. That's an act of God right there, lightning bolt. You're sitting there on the couch and you're watching the third playoff game of the weekend and you do not want to get up off the couch. So you ask your wife, hey, bring me some food or something like that. And because she's your wife and you sit on your couch the whole time, she says, get up and get it yourself. Conflict could be avoided easily. Jesus, how would Jesus avoid it? Five loaves and two fish right there, boom. Just make it appear right there, never run out, okay? If there's anyone who could have avoided conflict, it was Jesus. But did Jesus avoid conflict or did Jesus face conflict in his life? I'm telling you that if you read the gospel accounts, we're going to read from Mark chapter 1, just a few passages. You will see Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2, these couple examples. You will see Jesus not only didn't avoid conflict, he seemed to go after conflict. He seemed to invite conflict. Story here from Mark chapter 1. One time Jesus did a miracle and healed someone who was a leper. Okay, and this leper, okay, lepers were deemed unclean. You weren't allowed to touch them by Jewish law. Look what it says about Jesus. Mark 1, 41 to 42. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. And touched him, touched the leper, and said to him, I am willing. I am willing, be cleansed. Be, uh, Jesus asked, uh, the guy asked to be cleansed. So Jesus said, yes, I'm willing to be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Question. What caused the healing here? Jesus did two things to the man. He did two things. What were the two things? He spoke and he touched. Which caused the healing? Which caused the healing? Was it the touch? It didn't say he touched. It said as soon as he spoken, the leprosy left him. So why did he touch? Why did he touch? Jesus could have healed him without touching him. And the people said, no, no, you're not allowed to touch the lepers. This caused a problem for Jesus. And no, 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 now you're unclean. Now this Jesus said, okay, I'm going to heal him. You're healed. But just to show you. And Jesus continually did. Here's another example right here. Next chapter. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went with his disciples, began to pluck their heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do not do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Because they weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. So picking the grain was doing work, okay, in their twisted mindset. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, not, I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. What did Jesus say to them? Look, did Jesus, could Jesus have avoided this conflict if he wanted? Could he have avoided it? He's Jesus. They don't need to pick the thing. Like I said, he'd make it come down from heaven. Or if Jesus wanted to like teach them how to pick grain. Maybe this was like a lesson in his discipleship course or something like that. Okay, do it on Monday. Like do it, do it any other day of the week. But if you notice, Jesus insisted, insisted on, these are just two examples, but if you notice, he insisted. Person who was sick for 38 years. On Sabbath, he had to heal him. Like why? It's been 38 years. Think you guys gonna notice 38 years in one day? Like why it had to be on the Sabbath? It had to be on the Sabbath. Jesus, why you had to call the tax collector to be? Like there's all these people. All these people who everyone thinks like so-so, but there's one guy who everyone hates in town. He's a tax collector. Jesus said, I want him as my disciple. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus understood something that we're hopefully going to understand here throughout this series, and that, that's this. Relational success depends primarily on your ability to handle conflict. Jesus understood it. Relational success depends primarily on your ability to handle conflict. This relationship in marriage, this relationship with your parents, relationship with your kids, relationship at work, relationship with your friends, relationship in your church, 
depends primarily, your ability to be successful depends on your ability to handle conflict, disagreements. You think A, I think B. Either we're going to duke it out or we find a way to solve this in a productive manner. Jesus came to this earth for, to make a bridge between God and man. There was a relationship that was broken and Jesus needed to repair it. So you know what Jesus did? He came and he invited conflict. He invited it to show that you guys are here. Here's God and man and there's a bridge. Well, let me bridge this gap by challenging some of the things that you think are in between there and challenging some of the misconceptions. And he would challenge them and then he would show them how to bridge them together. Relational success depends on your ability to handle conflict. Now, what is success? We need to come up with a definition of success. So I'm kind of making up my own definition here. And I think you'll agree with me that this is probably, like here's our working definition of success. I'm gonna say success is no regrets. Like that's my definition of success. And that means whatever it means to you. To me, success means I get to the end of this life and I stand and I'm ready to stand in front of God and I look back at my life and I say, no regrets. That there's nothing that I wish I'd say, go back and say, oh, I wish I only would have. Or I wish I had it. That's my, goal, my, that's my definition of success. Again, like I said, you go to people at the end of their life and you see that the number one regret that people have is, you know, my son came to me and he was rebelling and he was doing this and what he was doing was wrong. But the way I responded to him, and the way I handled it, pushed him away forever and I really regret that. You'll see people will have regrets of, of, of decisions that, like I said, they made in their marriage, of when this situation happened, and yes, she was wrong, or yes, he was wrong, but I wish I hadn't lost my cool that way because there was irreparable damage that was done from that. We want to avoid those regrets in life. That's why we're going to do in this series is we're going to come up with a plan because you need a plan. If something is inevitable in life, you need a plan. You cannot go in life without a plan of how to resolve conflict because if you are, then you are setting yourself up for failure. If you live here in Washington, D.C. and you have no car, then one of the things you have to have a plan is how I'm going to get around when it rains. I'm going to get an umbrella. I'm going to get a raincoat. I'm going to work next to whatever it is. But you can't walk around and say it's sunny today, but you know what? I got no plan for the rain because the rain is inevitable and the conflict is inevitable as well. And it's time for us to come up with a plan. If you don't have a plan, you will naturally resort to one of two options. If you don't have a plan, you will naturally resort to one of two options options. And those two options, they're no surprise to you, you heard this before. Those two options are fight or flight. Those are the two options. By nature, every one of us is fight or flight when there's conflict. Some of us, when there's conflict, we look at it, we handle it head on, and we usually explode. And some of us do the opposite. We pull back and we implode. Some people address it, by being passive aggressive, okay? And kind of saying, no, everything's fine, but passive aggressive. Others of you just throw the clothes right out on the front lawn before he gets home from work, okay? Some fight and some are flight. Let's do a little uh, demonstration here just so you see the difference between fight or flight. We're gonna watch a few videos right now, okay? And I'm gonna pause the videos at a certain point in time and you're going to guess if the person or the thing in the video is going to do fight or flight. Ready? Ready? This actually was filmed in Washington, D.C., okay? At least for the YouTube titles, okay? You see a man with a video camera, and there's a little squirrel. Okay, it's a ah, cute little squirrel. He's taking video of the squirrel. And you're thinking to yourself when it's a squirrel. Okay, what? So, okay. Cute little squirrel. This 
we're sniffing them around, just trying to check it out and see what's going on. Okay, we'll pause it right there. What, what do y'all think the squirrel's going to do next? All right? Squirrels, you know, usually, yeah, well, let's see what the squirrel does. Okay, let's kind of see. Fight or flight here, let's see. <laughs> so that squirrel's a fighter right there, okay? That ain't a flight, all right? Let's go. We're going to find a dog. Next video, we're going to watch a dog. Okay? Watch this dog right here. Maybe a little help on the... I don't know what's yeah. So here you have a dog, and it's barking at a cat. There's a cat right there at the top of the stairs. And the dog's trying to flex his muscle and show who's boss right here. So let's see what happens here, the dog and the cat, okay? Get it, Fluffy. What do y'all think the dog, what do you think the cat's gonna do now? Cat versus dog. Okay, this is a, should be a no-brainer, right? Easy one right here, right? <laughs> oh, the dog lovers. Oh. It's from YouTube. I didn't film it myself. Okay, don't act some animal rights something or other. Okay, now here's my absolute favorite of them all. Okay, okay. here we go. I had a father and a son, and they're just kind of horse playing in the front Show yard. Show them some karate. Show them some karate here, okay? Okay. The dad's kind of messing with him and instigating and see what happens. All right, so the dad's kind of pushing the kid, and the kid, you know, had enough. What do you think he's going to do? Fight or flight? <laughs> Why do the kid does now? <laughs> I'm telling you, I could watch that video all day. That never gets old to me, okay? Never gets old, all right? So you see, those are the two options. Maybe we get the lights back on right here. Those are the two natural options that we all kind of do. Some of us are flight. Some of us are kicking below the belt kind of a people right here. But I don't think that either of these two are the most successful. We need to find a third option. And our third alternative that we're going to talk about here today is not fight or flight, but face. Face conflict or confront conflict. That's the alternative that we want to discuss. We are not going to flight. We are not going to fight. We are not going to explode or implode. We are not going to passive aggressive. We are not going to throw his clothes out on the front lawn. What we are going to do is learn how to confront conflict in a healthy, God-honoring way and face it as opposed to fight or flight. Now, before I get into the details, okay, today is like part one of the series. It's a five-part series. We'll go through strategy. Today, I'm kind of laying out the big picture. But before I lay out the big picture, just one thing, maybe in case you're thinking as you're sitting there, is this even important? Is this spiritual? Does this even matter? Like, why don't we just talk about like if there's conflict, we should just pray more. And if there's conflict, we should just go to church more and read the Bible more. And like, we don't need to discuss these techniques and things like that because they're like secular, okay? Whatever secular means, okay? The bad word in churches, if you say something is secular, okay? Is this spiritual? Absolutely spiritual. You know what the majority, the majority of, number one, the majority of your problems in life and my problems in life, and they coincide with the majority of the commandments given to us in the scriptures have less to do with my relationship with God and more to do with my relationship with one another. Because, you know, in the New Testament alone, the New Testament alone, there are 50, more than 50, one another's. You know what the one another's are? Love one another. Esteem one another. 
Encourage one another. Support one another. Do not judge one another. These one another's are the problems that we have in life because we don't know how to do these one another's. And what this series is all about is about being successful in the one another's of life. And my, 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 my thinking or my, my proposition to you is you cannot be successful in your relationship with God if you stink at the one another's of life. So that's what this series is all about, is coming up with a plan not to avoid one another and not to fight one another, but to confront one another and deal with one another according to the commands given to us in Scripture. Before we get into the plan, let's meet the one another's. We are going to meet the seven characters in your life and in mine that we hate. And that we often find ourselves, maybe hate is a strong word, but when they're cartoons, we can say we hate them, okay? We would never say that about a person. These are the people that cause us to need to have a strategy for conflict, okay? The seven cast of characters that's in your life and mine, and some of them drive you crazy more than others, but all of us have these in some degree. The first one, you may know her, is Manipulative Mary. Manipulative Mary may be your mom, may be your wife, Maybe your sister. It doesn't need to be a female. It could be a male, but we'll kind of go back and forth on male, female, so we'll gender, everyone will be included by the end, okay? This is the person who wants to control you, and they can find ways to control you, and you don't realize it at the time, and then you get home, and you realize, they got me again. Manipulative Mary's number one tools, I'll tell you her three top tools, fear, pity, and number one, Guilt, you know it more than I know it, is guilt. Oh, no, 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 that's okay, I'll be fine. That's okay, you don't need to, I'm fine. Oh, no, 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 I understand if that's the choice that you make, but it's just me, I'm different because I obey God. So, but that's fine, I mean, that, I love Jesus, but that's okay, like, that's okay, I mean. Manipulative Mary it always tries to make you feel like you're nothing unless you do exactly what she wants. And because of that, we hate her. Number two is, number two, struggling, there we go. Narcissistic Ned. Oh, narcissistic Ned. Narcissistic Ned thinks very highly of himself. And he especially thinks highly of himself in the areas that you don't think highly of yourself. You struggle with your appearance, Narcissistic Ned shows you his 24-inch pythons all the time. You struggle with your job, Narcissistic Ned loves to tell you about his latest promotion and this and how a worker's just so busy because you know all the responsibility that they have and all the different... You, you, he, house has got to be better than your house. His kids got to behave better than your kids. His wife got to bake better cookies than your wife bakes. Like whatever it is, Narcissistic Ned drives you crazy because he's always one-upping you in the area that you are a little bit insecure. And therefore, because of that, we hate him. If Narcissistic Ned was a mom, a stay-at-home mom, okay, let's say she'd be Nancy. She's a lady who drives the Range Rover and always complains when it's in the shop. What a burden that my Range Rover's in the shop again. Okay, and uh, how are you going to deal with this headache of the Range Rover in the shop? Well, you know, my husband, you know, my super dad of the month uh, husband with his, is gonna have to leave his high paying, high profile job uh, to come and whisk me away and take me home and spend the afternoon with me to remind me how much better my life is than yours. Okay, that's kind of the narcissistic Ned or narcissistic Nancy. 
And because of that, we hate them. Number three. Whoop, let's go back to number three. Struggling here on the clicker. There we go. Debbie Downer. There's an oldie but a goodie, right? Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer is a person who can suck the life right out of any person. She walk into the room, and no matter what's going on in that room, she finds the negatives. It's a beautiful day today. Yeah, but it may rain tomorrow. Your team won today, but they probably lose tomorrow. Your kid is so beautiful. Yeah, but my husband's so ugly. Suck the joy and life right out of anybody. Because of that, we hate her guts too. All right, number four. We'll move a little quicker here. Oh, sorry. Number four. Let's go to number four. Back to the number four. There we go. Judgmental Jim. Judgmental Jim. You know Judgmental Jim. Judgmental Jim never makes any mistakes in life. Never makes any mistakes. Which is strange because he is an expert at finding your mistakes in life. And no matter what it is that you do, Judgmental Jim will tell you, Hey, you know, Father Anthony, that was a good sermon, but let me just throw you a couple points that could have improved. Judgmental Jim can walk into any situation and tell you, he can see you discipline your kids and tell you how to discipline your kids better. He can see you the way that you are uh, uh, saving your, fi your financial plan and he'll tell you how he does it better. These are the people, I don't know this for a fact, but these are the people who are probably very active on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, that's probably my guess right here. Okay, they're very active. Okay, we hate them. Number five, number five person that we hate. But really, here at the well, we're a very loving community, okay? Okay, I promise you, we are very loving, all right? But we just hate the cartoon characters. Dream-killing Dorothy. You know dream-killing Dorothy. She's a little bit like Debbie Downer, but just louder, a little bit more vocal. She has the gift of shooting down everything you suggest. Hey, I'm gonna try a new diet. I bet you it won't work. Hey, I got a new job. I bet you get fired. Hey, I got a new uh, relationship, but he's going to cheat on you. She has a way that no matter what it is, this is the lady who goes around telling kids that Santa ain't real and justifies it by saying it's a heretical lie, okay? Dream-killing Dorothy. We hate her guts. Number six is Rude Ricardo. And Rude Ricardo will never call himself rude. He would say that, you know what, I'm just a direct kind of a guy. I am. No filter. Remember that no filter? Okay. I, I'm just, I'm no filter. That's just how I am. No, you're rude. Okay. You're a rude person. It's not no filter. It's that you're a jerk is what you are. The rude Ricardos are bullies, especially if they are spiritual. And they will tell you that, you know what? Look, I got to speak the truth in love. Truth in love is the same as no filter, okay? It's the same thing. That we abuse it, basically to beat you over the head and say, you know what? I'm just a direct person. I just like to speak the truth. And because I care about you, I'm going to tell you this, the truth right here. No, it's not a matter of truth and love. It's a matter of you need to learn some manners. You need to learn when things are polite, okay? We hate them as well. And last but not least, the one that we hate the most. The one that we hate the most. The one that we hate the most. Come on, this is clicker is Annoying Andrew. Annoying Andrew, I don't have anything specific, but basically anything that wasn't covered in the first six that you hate about a person, he's an annoying Andrew. <laughs> he's the person who's just always nice and you hate him because he's always nice. Or he's always like needy so you hate him because he's needy. Like whatever it is that you hate in life, just throw it on this guy and just blame him for all the ills in society and just justify it, your hatred for him that way. These are the people that because they exist in life, we need a plan for how to deal with them. 
You can go around life and say, you know what? My hope is to avoid all of these characters. And that's a great plan, but that ain't going to work. The people who are successful at the end of their life with the no regrets are not people who avoided conflict. It's not people who their kids were better than your kids or their boss understood them better than your boss does or their wife allowed them to do what your wife doesn't like. It's not people who are luckier than us. It was people who understood how to confront conflict in a God-honoring, God-pleasing manner. And that's what we're talking about right here. Let me give you the big picture idea. Here's the big picture idea. And we're going to break down over the next four weeks how to do this practically. But I'm going to kind of lay it out right here for you as about what we need to do. And then we'll figure out how we need to do it. And the answer to this of what is it that we need to do is we need to refuse the fool's choice. Refuse the fool's choice. Said another way is find the third alternative. There's a book that came out a couple years ago called Crucial Conversations. Some of you may read it, popular in the business world. And it basically addressed this, and it is the one who came up with the idea of the fool's choice and refusing it. What's the fool's choice? The fool's choice is thinking, as we so often do, that there's only two choices. Okay, I said earlier, truth and love. Truth and love. Sometimes we think, by our nature, that those are two mutually exclusive things. That either I'm honest or I'm loving. Either I am uh, 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 truth or I am mercy. And we think that you kind of have to choose between one of the two. Either I'm going to tell you the truth about what I think, or I'm going to swallow it so I can keep the friendship. But we think that we can't have both. I can't keep my friendship and tell the truth. I can't keep my job and tell my boss what I really think of his idea. We think that we have to choose between one of the two. That's why we get ourselves into trouble. Some people are facts. Some people are feelings. And we think that, you know what, I'm just looking at the facts. Well, I'm just looking at the feelings. Is there a way that we can look at both? Is there a third alternative? Several years ago on my blog, I wrote a blog post which became very famous or infamous, I should say, where I talk about there's two kinds of people in this world. There's pillows and swords. Okay, there's pillows and swords. And I really believe that. That some people, these people, the truth people, are swords. They use words like honest. They use words like uh, righteous, justice. Okay, that's what these truth people are. They're swords. And then there are the pillows. And the pillows use words like loving, mercy, grace, patience. And those are kind of the two extremes. And we think that it has to be one or the other. Swords can solve every problem with a sword. Okay? Anytime there's a problem, they, boom, they go straight to the problem and they cut your head off in the process. Pillows don't want anyone to be sad. And they know that swords would hurt people. So they just hug you with pillows. Pillows, pillows, pillows all around. Oftentimes, pillows marry swords. Oftentimes. Not all, it doesn't have to be 100% of the time. Okay, but it happens because if two swords married, they wouldn't be here amongst us today. Okay, they'd have killed each other. And if two pillows married, they'd be living in the street somewhere, okay, and singing happy songs, but with no house and not paying their bills or anything like that. So usually what God does is he likes to bring swords and pillows together. Every one of us by nature is a sword or a pillow. You could probably guess which of the two I am. Probably not too hard to figure out, but we'll kind of leave it. Which of these two is the right one? Swords think everything should be sword. Pillow think everything, everything should be pillow. Is there one that's right? Is there one? These guys will say, Jesus is all about love. Love, 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 love. And Jesus is love and mercy and love, 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 love. 
And these people say, truth, 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 truth. And Jesus speak the truth. And these people love John the Baptist. And these people love St. Paul. And these people love John who said, love this and love that and love everyone. Which one's right? Which one? Okay, let me say this. Which one is more loving? Mercy or truth? Which is more loving? Both. The chapter that defines love for us is 1 Corinthians 13. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. Pillows, you love that. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. Love never is rude. Love is patient, love is kind. Okay, go down, fast forward two verses. And it says, love rejoices in the truth. Truth, there you go. I told you it's truth. And I told you I should tell these people a piece of my mind. I told you. Is there a third option? Is it either or? Or could it be and? <clears throat> truth of the matter is, is love is both. At times, love needs to be tough. Love needs to be honest. But at times, love needs to be patient. There's no such thing. Like what I'm saying is they're not opposed to one another. They actually complete one another. You know when we learned? When did we learn? When did we learn that true love has to choose one or the other? When did we learn that you cannot do both of them together? You know when we learned it? From a very young age. We learned it the first time that we went to either grandma's house or auntie's house or whatever friend of the family's house, and she baked that pie, that Brussels sprout pie a la mode, that nasty pie that was just made you want to vomit from the smell. And she served you that pie, and she put that big fat piece of pie in front of you, and she said, what do you think of it? What do you think of it? And what she meant, was not what do you think of it, but what do you think of me? So because we were kids, we were dumb, we said, ew, yuck, duh, tastes like my shoe. And what happened to granny or auntie or whoever? What do we see on her face? Horror on her face. Crying, tears, hurt. What did our parents do to us when we got back in the car? Don't you ever say something like that again. That's so rude. And they taught us from that moment in time, we learned a lesson. We learned that the two are exclusive of one another. That either you tell the truth about that nasty pie or you keep the relationship with granny and you keep her happy. Either you do the loving thing or you do the honest thing, but you can't do both. And that's what we were taught. And I'll be honest with you, ever since then, this idea was reinforced. This idea was reinforced. No one take this in a personal way, nothing like that. We, we got reinforced and we got married. And our wife came home and said, what do you think of the new haircut? What do you think of the new dress? That, way, that, that got reinforced. You either keep the relationship or you tell the truth, but you ain't going to do both. It got reinforced when a friend came to us with a stupid decision, which we in our heart of hearts thought was a stupid decision, which was going to cause a lot of pain. And they asked us our opinion. And we told them our opinion. And they said, you don't love me. You don't support me. I never talk to you again. Confronting conflict is all about refusing the fool's choice. And searching for a third alternative is not being loving or not. It's all under loving is not focusing just on being nice or focusing on just telling the truth. But it's finding the third alternative. Is there a way to speak truth in love? Is there a way that grace and truth could marry together? Can grace and truth be married with one another? Is it possible? Yes, it is. You know when it happened? When Jesus came to this earth. John chapter 1. Oh, John chapter 1. Here we go. 
John chapter 1, talk about Christ coming in this world. The Word became flesh. The Word is Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, say it with me, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And he reiterates that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Can grace and truth be married to one another? Yes, in Jesus Christ, the grace of God and the truth of God were married together. And Jesus was not 50% this and 50% this. He was not sometimes grace and sometimes truth. He was every single interaction with every single human being was 100% grace and 100% truth. And he never compromised 1% of it. He went to a lady who was caught in adultery. What did he say to that lady? What did he say to that lady? He said, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. See that? I do not condemn you. Grace, but go and sin no more. Truth. He went to the Samaritan woman and said, lady, I want to help you out. I want to give you water that will never make you thirsty again. That's grace. She doesn't deserve it. But truth, go call your husband. And she said, yeah, I'm struggling in that area. Zacchaeus, tax collector, thief, be my disciple. Grace, but go get back what you stole. Truth. No one ever left Jesus and said he wasn't filled with grace. And no one ever left him and said he wasn't filled with truth. Jesus was the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth in every word, in every interaction, in everything that he said. Even when he was yelling at the Pharisees, was fullness of grace and fullness of truth. Out of complete love for them, he told them, the way you are going is a way to death. And I'm not telling you that because I hate you. I'm telling you because I love you and I want to save you. And Jesus knew, just like any master, master communicator, conflict resolver knows when to pull this string, when to pull that string. He knew who needed a little bit more grace, who needed a little bit more truth. Okay, I always say that about like every one of us is unique. Every one of us is unique. Like my wife and I are about as different as, as can be on the spectrum. I am the pillow or the sword. Why all laughing when you say that? Okay. I am slightly the sword, okay? By slightly meaning 100%. Because I'm that, God, with me, like God has to get it through the thick head. So with me, God gives me a lot of truth. God gives me a lot of truth. Because God knows that if he, like that's the way I communicate. Marianne, sweet, love, kind, good. Like I myself, like if God gave her, I'd be like, okay, God, like go easy on her. You know what I mean? So God deals with each one of us, fullness of grace, fullness of truth, but he knows which to show a little more, which show like fullness of each of those characteristics. And it's not one or the other. It is the fullness of both. And that's our goal. That's our goal. That's the series in a nutshell. What we need to learn how to do is be filled with grace and truth in every interaction. We meet someone at work. Our boss tells us this, our wife this, our kids that. Grace and truth. We're going to learn together how to do that practically. I want to tell you one idea. Okay, and again, we're going to be breaking this down over the rest of the series, but one thing to keep in mind as we kind of go away from here today, okay? Here is another concept from that, again, from that book, Crucial Conversation. It says this. Here's how you be 100% honest, 100% loving, 100% grace, 100% truth. You keep in mind this picture, this metaphor. The goal is to fill the pool of shared meaning. Fill the pool of shared meaning. What that means is, in every relationship or conflict or conversation, whatever it is, there's a pool. Imagine a bucket in the middle. 
And the goal is that everything inside me that I mean, not that I say, the point is to put words and put meaning in. There's a difference between putting words in and putting meaning in. My goal is to put all of the meaning inside that bucket. And then my second goal is to make it comfortable for you to do the same with yours. And what I want to pour inside there is all the ideas in my head, all the feelings in my heart, all the grace that I have for you, but all the truth that I have about your idea as well. And I want to put all that into this bucket. The more that bucket is filled, the more we'll be able to handle conflict and resolve the conflict and communicate better. Like just logic. The more information you have about a situation, the better decision you make. So the more me and you stop keeping stuff inside and we put it all out there, the more we'll be able to handle conflict. For example, grandma, the example I gave, grandma needs to know that I love her so much and I respect her and I, and I want like, her to, to be there at my wedding and I want her, like grandma needs to know I just love her the most. But this pie tastes like my shoelaces. That, like that's the inside my heart. Okay, that's what needs to come out, is that I love her shoelace pie. That's what that needs to come out. My friend need to know that, you know what? I will support you and I will be there for you. But I'm telling you, this decision is going to cause you a lot of pain. That's my opinion. I may be wrong. I'm support you, whatever. But I want you to know, I can't just watch you make this decision without telling you, I think it will cause you pain. Pool of shared meaning. My boss, some of you have bosses, you cannot talk to your bosses. You just have to grin and bear. My boss needs to know. Again, this is ideal. I can't tell you what to do, but I'm saying my boss needs to know that I will obey and I will be submissive and I will do all those things. But I think there's a much better way to do this project than what he's suggesting. I'm going to do what he says to do, but I think there's a better way. Pool of shared meaning. Everything that's inside me, all the grace that I have, all the truth that I have needs to dump inside this bucket and then I need to make it safe for you to put the same inside. And once we see it all there, and there it is, then it becomes very easy to communicate. Because in the end, none of us wants a conflict. In the end, no one wants a divorce. In the end, no one wants an estranged relationship with a child or a parent. In the end, no one wants a friendship from kindergarten to be broken after 20 years. No one wants that. We both want the same thing. If we can just get all the information in the bucket, we can get there. The Bible way of saying that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It says that we should speak the truth in love. And in doing so, watch this. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. When we learn to speak the truth in love, truth in love, truth in love, grace and mercy and patience and kindness, but honesty and justice and righteousness, when we marry these two together, you know what we become? We become mature. We become Christ because that's what Christ was. Because Christ came to this earth. And what did Christ do? Christ came to this earth. Here's God. And there's earth. And there down earth is darkness. And blindness. And all kinds of sickness. And all kinds of sin and death. Whose fault was it that there was death in the world? Whose fault was it? It's their fault. So what does truth say? What does truth say? Truth says, let them suffer the consequences. It's their own choice. They chose it. They deserve it. Let him suffer. What does grace say? Let it go. Remove the consequences. Let it go. Just let it go. What does Jesus say? He says, I will be the one to come, and I will carry their sins. I will forgive it, but not because I'm just going to wipe it away, but I will carry the handwriting of their sins in my flesh. 
I will take the consequences, I will take it, and I will nail it to the cross. So that grace was served and truth was served. And neither of the two was compromised. And that's what our challenge is to do here. The psalmist, King David, says it this way in Psalm 85, verse 10. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Me and Marianne always say this is like our marriage verse. Because this is, our marriage is an example of this. That mercy and truth have met together. And on occasion, we kiss as well. <laughs> Righteousness and peace have kissed. <laughs> the goal of today. The goal of today is to start to approach conflict in a new way, a new mindset. Okay, where we're going to go the rest of this series, just to kind of give you the outline. Next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to start, the title next week is Start with the Heart. We're going to start, before you ever approach conflict this way, you approach conflict this way. Before I ever open my mouth in front of you, I have to do some introspection. And the person who is very eager to confront someone is not ready to confront First, it starts with the heart. I examine my true motivation. Why is it that I even want to confront? Week three, we'll talk about mastering our stories. And we'll talk about how before we open the conversation, what we tell ourselves, okay, we have to master that, okay, because our brains will run away from us and take us in a bad place. And before, week four, I titled, How to Talk Your Way Out of a Hostage Crisis. Okay, and that's what we'll talk about, like, techniques and strategies for how to talk and what to say and different approaches you can take. And then the fifth week, we'll talk about a subject I'm sure many of you are familiar with is the idea of love languages because that's the only true long-term way to maintain peace and, and, and handle conflict is understanding how we are made and the person in front of us is made and we'll do that together. But for today, for today, my challenge to you, change your mindset. Avoid the fool's choice. Refuse to say these are the only two options I have to choose between being honest or, or, or keeping my friendship. Refuse that choice and say there has to be a way that I can address honesty or honestly and also lovingly. There has to be a way. And I'm not telling you the way now, but the first thing is I have to challenge myself. Those of you who are pillows, okay, and you don't like to open your mouth and you just kind of grin and bear and you just kind of take it and take it and take it and take it. My challenge to you is to begin to think of, well, maybe I should confront this person. Maybe I should say something. Maybe I shouldn't just keep my mouth shut because I'm telling you, not telling me an offense that I did against you isn't very loving. It sounds loving, it looks loving to keep your mouth shut, but it actually isn't. Because I'm telling you, and I'll ask you right now, actually, let's do this. Right now, I'm saying, if I, or yeah, if I, no, if you offend me, you, right there, in your seat, if you offend me, how many people would want me to tell you that you offended me? Raise your hand. Would you want me to tell you if you offended me? Very good. All of you are raising your hand. Okay, because that's what we all want. So what I'm saying is when I'm telling you, if I offend you, come and tell me, and you don't tell me, you're not being very loving. But by the same token, use swords, take it easy. Use swords, go slow. Okay, don't be a bully. Don't be mean. Don't be just, well, you know, no filter. Don't do that. And learn to try to be more graceful in your approach and more merciful and more patient. And we'll get there in the end because in the end, we need to be what Jesus was. We need to be Jesus. We need WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's what we need. And what would he do? Is he would be full grace and full truth, married together in one perfect unity. All right? Let's stand together and say a prayer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart that you are fullness of grace and fullness of truth. And you never sacrificed either one when it came to your love for us and your desire to save us. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray that you would help us through the remainder of this series to like learn how to be like you in our relationships and learn how to, to confront in, in, a, in a godly and, and, and God-honoring way that we would be like little Christs on this earth filled with grace and filled with truth and never compromising one for the other. Lord, those of us who, who struggle with grace, pray that you'd fill our hearts with a love from above and a grace from above that isn't natural to us. And you would teach us how to do that. Lord, those who struggle with being honest and direct and assertive, I pray that you'd give them courage and boldness to begin to take steps in that direction, for the, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of their marriage, for the sake of their families, for the sake of their friendships, Lord. I pray that you'd help us all to get this right so that we can live a full life and not get to the end and have any regrets. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.